Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. City News. It's 17.30 GMT. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. I am Umaru Sanda Amadou. Tonight, I'm here with... Akusia Ochoa. And coming up over the next 90 minutes... Resigning from membership of the EC. This will be in the supreme interest of our country's continued democratic progress, election peace and credibility, and indeed, the overall national interest. Coalition of Domestic Election Observers, Kodeo, demands removal of two latest additions to the Electoral Commission who have been accused of being politically tainted. Also coming up, Ghana Water Company Limited rakes in over 1 million cities in just one day of an exercise to recoup monies that have been lost to the state as a result of non-payment of utilities. And later on Eyewitness News, we'll go to the Ashanti region where the NDC regional vetting is ongoing. We hear about the charged atmosphere in Aswasi, where the Honorable Muntaka Mohamed Mubarak is facing competition from Masawudu Mubarak. Stay with 97.3 CTF for more on this and many other stories on Eyewitness News. And in business... And in business, economics... Professor Lord Mensah projects City could depreciate or appreciate about $7 to the dollar soon. That's in 15 minutes. Eyewitness News is live across Ghana on a number of affiliate stations and across the globe on citynewsroom.com. It's an interactive show. Let us know what you make by, of the issues we are bringing you tonight by sending a message to 0549-986-996. Let's settle for details of our stories. The first one has to do with the integrity of our electoral commission. Dr. Kojo Afarijan's Electoral Commission. It has come up for discussion since the president nominated two more people to join the commission. These two people were sworn in and are members of the commission. Effectively, the NDC, opposition NDC, had raised issue with the two members of the commission. Tonight, the Coalition of Domestic Election Observers, Kodeo, is also calling for the two persons to be removed. Reverend Dr. Fred Digby, is the chairman of the CODEO, which is a coalition of domestic election observers, and he's joining us on the line. Reverend, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. Thank you very much. Um, first of all, the question would be, why did it take you so long to react? The announcement has been more than a week old. Well, a few corrections. First, I'm not the chairman. I just spoke today. And secondly, it's not just CODEO. It's CODEO, Ghana and Civic Forum Initiative. So it's a broad-based coalition. And definitely, we wanted to test the civil society ground to see whether there's an agreement on what we see as a foul play in the recomposition of the EC. Okay. And our partners have come with that. They know that let's do something about it. It's not the best. I so see. That's why it's, take, it's taking us a while. It's not just a solo organization called Kodeo coming to town with this uh, announcement. All right. Uh, just to be accurate in our reportage, so what would be the appropriate title to give you with Kodeo? If you're not the chairman, how should we... You're just a member of Kodeo? I, I spoke today. 
I read this. I'm a member of Kodu. I'm an, so a we can refer to you Kodu, as a member Kodu of Kodu. Advisory Kodu. board member. Yes, yes. Okay. Okay, that's fair. Advisory board member. All right. Thank a you. Apologies for the wrong attribution earlier. No problem. Now, having done the consultation and deciding to come out, what were the yes. things you found? What are the preliminary things you found for which reason you held that these two persons, Dr. Peter Apiehini and uh, Hajja Salima Ametijani, should not be on the commission because they are not fit to be there? I would say that uh, we, we we are saying in the public domain, normally the president has shown us a, a, a style of appointing public officials. He tells us their CV, why he's appointing them. In this particular case, we do not see any of those credentials publicly given out there. So after they've been appointed and sworn in, people are now finding out who they are. And they come up with the uh, finding social media that these two people, Dr. PJ and Hadia, seem to be tainted politically, uh, very well known in the circles of the NPP. And so we said this doesn't seem right. An electoral management body or a referee for that matter must be seen, must be known as fair to all players who would accept them and work with them for our election. Is it not just a suspicion? Has this been proven in any way that they have a political colorization or they are new patriotic party fanatics? Has that been proven in any way? Because the question would be, everybody may have a sympathy, but are they active members of the NPP? Everybody may have a sympathy, and rightly so, because we are all supposed to vote. And if so, then if you get into public and you are seen to be speaking for a particular party, and it's there on the Internet, anybody who Googles will find out about this lecturer, what he has said, what he has done, I just... Uh, political inclination from the husband and from those she's related to seems to make a suggestion that she could be politically tainted. It could be. So we're saying these two, perhaps if the president took a look again, he may not have appointed them. And we've been wondering whether the requirement of talking with, again, seeking consultation with the and uh, Council of State was done, and whether these two people have been said to be okay, these are the best we can have to serve us on the Electoral Commission. Don't people's histories with organizations end when they are appointed to independent institutions? Or the view is that once they were blue, they are forever blue and cannot be trusted? Um, you're right that they may be appointed, and then they can show that they are truly neutral. You see, but at the time of appointment, what you know is what you work on. So if at the time of appointment, this is what we know about them. You see, we live in a very polarized society. And already the ratings of the Electoral Commission across the years has been plummeting. At the last Afrobarometer, we find even 10% of the public saying that they have confidence in the Electoral Commission. So... If you're going to continue to add to that body people who are perceived to be politically tainted, we are afraid that we're just going to make it more and more difficult for anybody to have any confidence in that electoral body. 
And that is why we are calling on the on the people who have been responding uh, to office to look at it. See, we are calling on the Ghanaian populace to let their views be known. Some have made their views known already that this one we think is gone too far. There are many more people who would have fitted that bill without too much sweat from the general public. These people are beneficiaries of an appointment. Why don't you target the appointor uh, rather than the appointee? Well, if if the appointor in his mind thinks that he are the right people to appoint, and that's why he appointed them, and that is his judgment. But if we are now saying that you people, we are not, uh, not that we are not qualified, we see that you are tainted, there's a question mark around your appointment, and we are asking them to resign. They can choose to resign, or the appointor, having heard all of this public outcry and verifying what has been put in the public domain, may decide to withdraw it. Whichever one it is, the value will be the same, that they have been asked to resign. But so are you ask, have you asked are, the president to remove them? Have you asked the president? Because once the person is made an EC member, removal is an is an, a whole different kettle of fish. It's not something as easy as the appointment was. So just like you said, that is why we are saying the easiest thing is for those who have been appointed to say, I'm sorry, I've not, I am not inclined to serve. I'm not. There were people who, in the past, were appointed to positions and they said, no, I'm sorry, I declined. I will not accept this position. So it's possible. Reverend, for anybody who has been appointed to say, I will not serve. Reverend, resi sorry. resignations are very rare in this part of the world. I'm, I'm not sure you've forgotten about that. It can begin from someone. <laughs> okay. Again, again, from somewhere. The, again, yeah. again, on the final issue on the appointer uh, or appointor, the issue would be that blame the constitution. The constitution gives the president the opportunity to appoint almost everybody, and he, yes. the constitution says he should consult somebody, uh, a body. He may have yeah. done that. So blame the body or blame the constitution, not the president. Yeah. He was just he sought advice. He has been advised that is okay. Go ahead, and and he went ahead to do what he did. Well, we, 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 we do not doubt, we, we don't know whether the president appointed the council, whether the president consulted those he's supposed to consult or not, and what their advice is. We are not told. And whether he took the advice or not? Yeah, whether he either that is, but he's not, he's not supposed to tell us, and he's not supposed to take it. You see, but the same president asked us not to be, what, observers, but to be participants. And we, the participants, we, the observers who watch elections, we who have been watching the trends from the Afrobarometer, and we who have heard the public outcry of the public are saying, Mr. President, uh, this one, we don't think that it augurs well for our nation. And those who have been appointed, we do not think that your political inclination is like that. You should be on an electoral management body that to all intents and purposes must be seen not only as uh, doing a good job, but the people there must be seen to be neutral. You see, that perception is important because every decision they make in this politically charged country can be interpreted left or right. And if you have any question marks about you, even if it's a genuine mistake or genuine oversight, you will misinterpret it. So the better, uh, the better choice would be to our people, who at least not too many things have been said about them in terms of the credentials 
or their political party affiliation. Rev, I know that you are busy and we are grateful that you took uh, time to speak to us. My last question to you, if the president ignores your plea and the plea of many others and the appointees ignore your request for them to resign, what do you think that would mean to election 2024 and the election management body and the consequence of the elections? Well, our duty as election observers is to point out to the general public what we are observing. And we cannot, we can only wish the country the best. But we can see that we are going on a slippery, slippery slope if these pieces of advice are ignored. Uh, that's all we can hope and wish for that it is remedied and rectified. We still have quite some time before we go to elections. And we hope that the right thing the people who have been appointed to make their decisions and to put forward that decision with election 20, which already uh, is warming up, 2024, which already is warming up very much. Mm. Reverend, thank you so much. Uh, th this, is a, this is a season that your prayers would be answered more than many other seasons, I am sure, and you have a series of programs lined up. Uh, Thank you. I, I, I wish I wish I could have asked you to pray for the nation uh, in these trying what do you times. Mean? I, I mean, I'm saying I wish I could ask you to pray for the nation at this time because it's been oh, a while. We will surely be praying for the nation. Yeah, it's been a and while since we heard who, from you. Yes, the, the, the God of all grace, the God of all mercy, uh, will bless CTFM and our listeners and bless this nation and keep us strong and hearty. And in the time of thinking about the sacrifice of Christ and what He did for us. And we should have confidence that in these difficult times, the Lord who is with us will cause us to sail through. And so we live to fulfill our destiny. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. And thank you so much for speaking to us, Rev. My pleasure. That's thank Reverend you. Dr. Right. Fred Digby. Uh, remember him previously played very active roles with the Christian Council. Uh, now he's a member of the advisory board of the Coalition of Domestic Election Observers, Kodil. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. So from Reverend Prof, uh, Reverend Digby, let's go to someone who has been following our election discourse closely, someone who is in the political and governance space, a lecturer at the University of Ghana, Political Science Department, Professor Ransford Jampo. Prof, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. Kumaro Sanda. Thank you. Good evening. Good evening. Is this a storm in a teacup that we are asking for nominees to uh, resign, considering that you teach politics? You know that people would have their political biases, but there's a possibility people can also be neutral, or there's no such thing as neutrality. Well, there, there is a possibility that people can be neutral, and but when it comes to decision-making, um, definitely neutrality must give way to objectivity. And so when there is something um, that you have to decide on, and by all means you have to exercise that right to decide, then you cannot say, as for me, I can decide. You have to just be objective. But beyond that, um, one can be um, neutral. And so you are asking whether um, the call for the resignation of some people um, isn't a storm in a teacup. And the, the answer is that we all know that um, 
if you call for the resignation of a typical Ghanaian public servant, you may merely be romancing a stone because the culture of resignation is not ingrained in our psyche. Um, unless one is pushed, people do not resign. And I, I know the questions you will be asking, so let me just um, go on talking because Umar Sanda, Pro- you Pro- recall, are becoming a, a prophet now in my in my profession. That's not fair. No, but you and I, I mean, stop this. You and I, you know, a few, a couple of days ago, I, I thought I wasn't thinking straight. And so I had to call you about this appointment and to ask whether maybe maybe I am <laughs> I'm doing something in Ghana too much because it doesn't make sense to me. And you remember I called you to have a discussion on this. The, That's the, why I know the, the, I know the kind of question you'll be asking. Okay. Allow me to talk. Okay, please go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> please go ahead. You, you so know, so let's talk about the neutrality neutrality of the electoral commission. These two persons who've been appointed, we are told they are politically tainted. You heard uh, Reverend Degbe there. He says a simple Google search will show you that uh, Dr. Peter Pierhini and Hajia Salima Ahmed Tijani are pure blooded NPP members and they should not be anywhere close to the electoral management body. Your take. You know, uh, long before Kodio spoke today, um, some of us have taken issues with the caliber of people appointed to the commission. We teach independence of institution. And one of the mechanisms for achieving this is the mode of appointing people into such institutions. Someone must always appoint somebody. Somebody must always appoint somebody. But there must be measures put in place to ensure that the appointment is done first with recourse to meritocracy. That's first thing, with recourse to meritocracy. One of the manifestations of winner takes all politics is the appointment, the way and manner the appointment powers of the executive president um, has oftentimes been exercised um, in a manner that benefits partisan apparatchikis and cronies without recourse to meritocracy. So you ask yourself, what is the track record of these people who have been appointed to go help the Electoral Commission in the area of election management? We, are, we know so many people who have done work on elections. I worked with Jimensa for 14 years in bringing political parties together and in submitting proposals for electoral reform. And so if Jimensa got appointed as the chair of the Electoral Commission, I was not surprised because for 14, for 10 years, she was working at the IEA, creating a platform for inter-party dialogue. And so I was not surprised. But what is the track record of these other people who have been appointed to go help the commission? I don't know. And I've checked and I don't know. I, I can't find anything. Number two, given that these appointees are going to be working as independent arbiters, they must not be seen to be partisan. Please listen to this carefully. Human beings are naturally political animals, according to Aristotle. So you cannot say human beings do not do politics. But there is a difference between thought politics and partisan politics. Now, when Max Weber says that bureaucrats and public servants should not do partisan politics, he's not saying they must not vote in elections. He's not saying they are not political animals. He's saying that they must not be seen to openly be associating themselves with one political party through actively campaigning for a political party, through making certain um, statements that are for or against some political parties, or by wearing party t-shirts and other party paraphernalia. 
if you look at what people are saying and what um, simple searches have shown, um, some of the people are doing or uh, are uh, partisan. You know, they are partisan appointees. They are seen to be doing partisan um, politics, and so such people asking them to go ahead independent in um, um, institutions becomes quite problematic. It appears it will appear that then we do not have much respect for independent of institutions, and we are not also serious in helping institutions that suffer legitimacy and trust deficit um, to heal. And so I, I, I am a bit, I was a bit worried. And what even worsened um, my worry was that, you know, after the appoint, um, appointment, I, I was trying to bounce the idea with some um, civil society leaders. And then one of them drew my attention to the fact that, but didn't you hear the president say that um, those who vote are the ones who matter and not those who count elections? And so then that insinuates that, look, you can appoint anybody to go into the um, commission. After all, those who count elections do not matter, but it is those who vote that matters. But with the greatest of respect to the president, if you vote and there is no one to count, what becomes the outcome of your vote? And so the voters are as important as the counters. And so I, I, I don't know. Um, Reverend Digby and co are asking that um, they, they resign themselves because clearly, you know, um, as for the president, he's not going to rescind his decision. But like I said, asking the typical Ghanaian to also resign is just like romancing a stone. It's never going to happen. And so, so we can all join Reverend Digby and Kodio to pray for the peace of Ghana and to pray that um, regardless of the feeling that people have and sentiments that people have against some of these things, we will still be able to keep our peace intact. We can only pray. So these two gentlemen, uh, these two persons rather, uh, would not be leaving because one, they will not be removed. Two, they will not remove themselves. So forget about it. Let's pray for the peace of Ghana. That's all. Okay. They are not going anywhere. But what do you make of their remaining there, though? That's a question I asked Reverend Digby. If they remain there, what would that mean to election 2024? Would it mean that we are going into the election with a, a biased referee, which means that the opposition party would have cause to cry foul even before it goes into the ring? No, you see, even some of the top echelons of the, of the electoral commission that some of us believe that the and their appointment because they have done election, um, some work on elections. Even them, some people are saying um, they are not neutral, and some people are alleging bias on their part. Okay? Um, if, if they are suffering these criticisms, and you have people who are also known um, to be partisan also getting appointment into the same institution, then people may look at the legitimacy and the independence um, of the commission with some trepidation or with a pin, they will take it with a pinch of salt. And when that happens, then they are put aggressively on a defensive at all times. And so they would always see everything wrong with whatever the commission may be doing, even if the commission means well. And that is why then... Other, others, other political, you know, operatives would always be seen to be fighting the electoral commission. And we cannot allow that to go on in perpetuity. The electoral commission itself 
requires a certain institutional peace to be able to undertake its activities. Mm-hmm. But without such institutional peace, uh, election management would also suffer. But now who costs them? Um, it is we ourselves who are also not helping um, um, this matter um, by the, the level or the manner in which we are appointing people there. And so it's going to be quite problematic. There is always going to be suspicion um, uh, of the, you know, giving or shrouded with, uh, with the activities, you know, of the Electoral Commission. And you see, danger portent when uh, you, you, danger or, or violence or um, things that destabilize our peace would not happen because of logic or because of, 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 of something that empirically is happening. Sometimes some of these things happen. People take the laws into their own hands, not because they have empirical evidence, but simply because of perception. Okay, so people perceive you to be not independent and that's whatever you may be doing, you may be doing to undermine their own electoral fortune. If that is the perception and nothing is done to deal with it and rather we do things to perpetuate or deepen that perception, then tomorrow we are in for trouble. Mm. But like I said, we don't have anywhere to go, you and I, Umar Sanda, we don't have anywhere to go. So we can only admonish the politician, not out of malice, but because we mean well for Ghana. And we hope and pray that they listen. If they choose not to listen, we will continue to pray for the soul and for the peace of Madagana. Thank you so much. And please keep praying uh, for, for, for Ghana. Thank you so much, Prof, for your time. That's Professor Ransford Jampo. He's a political scientist with the University of Ghana. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 City FM. We have more coming your way. Please stay with us. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. Let your voice be heard on Eyewitness News on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash city97.3, Twitter at twitter.com forward slash city973, and Instagram at instagram.com forward slash city973 with the hashtag Eyewitness News. You're welcome back. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. We are coming to you from our studios. In Adabraka, in Accra, we are broadcasting on YouTube, we are live on Facebook, we are live on um, citynewsroom.com, that's our website, and we are also across the country on a number of affiliate stations, including in the northeast region on Nobia FM 98.1 in Nalirigu, on Quality 88.7 FM in Upper East, that's Garu. We are in Saboba in the northern region on Radio Gaki 88.3 FM. In the Volta region, we are on Heritage 107.3 FM in Hohwe, Freedom 88.1 FM in Sogakopa. In the Ashanti region, on Ajinpa 99.9 FM in Nkawie. If you go to the Bono region, we are on Greener 95.9 FM in Sunyani. In the Western region, we are um, in the regional capital on two stations, Sky Power 93.5 and Beach 105.5, that's Takradi. And Ajinpa 100.7 FM in the northern part of the region, that's in Takwa. Let's talk about our utility service providers now. The Electricity Company of Ghana has been on a campaign to disconnect and collect money from people who have not been paying for power that they use. The Ghana Water Company Limited started a similar exercise today. And we are told as much as 1.7 million cities has been raised already. Dr. Clifford Brimer is the managing director of the Ghana Water Company Limited. He's joined us on the line. 
Engineer Doctor, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. Were you motivated by the ECG? Perhaps you saw what they were doing and decided to do the same, or you also had this planned already? I think uh, for Ghana Water Company, revenue mobilization has been part of our operations regularly. So citizens and uh, customers will tell you that at regular intervals, we'll be doing it. It's just that uh, we don't uh, go all out announcing those kind of uh, operations. So it's not uh, being motivated by anybody. Okay. It's just that uh, we needed to step up, especially among the industrial areas, uh, industrial uh, customers, where we had some misunderstanding of recategorization and the levels of increase of their tariffs. So we needed to approach them, not only to collect the money, but to also do one-on-one -on -one education as to how the tariffs are set and the need for them to obey. Because some of them think that once the PRC gazes the tariff, there is the opportunity for PRC itself or Ghana Auto Company to vary the numbers in their favor or otherwise. But immediately it's gazetted. It becomes law and it has to be implemented. If there's going to be any review, it has to be in the subsequent review period where whatever adjustment will be factored in. So most of these things, you normally talk to them in groups. It doesn't get into them. So we just took advantage today to make sure that some of the big customers that I will visit, I'll take uh, opportunity to explain to them how these tariffs come about and how we think that uh, together we can uh, uh, help each other to grow. They grow their businesses based on what we give them, and we also grow our business because we take the tariff from them and run our operations. So these are the things that uh, uh, motivated us into getting to the But for revenue mobilization, citizens will tell you we do that regularly throughout the year. So you're doing mobilization, you are doing education, you are doing disconnection, you are doing money collection. What is the target? What are you working with in terms of money? Oh, in total, we have over 800 million in areas. That is for several years to come. Some of them, uh, we've even uh, gotten uh, KPMG to, i uh, sorry, Pricewater at Coopers to do the auditing to indicate which of are the areas that are collectible and those that are not uh, collectible. And at the end of it, they came out, we had to go to the board for approval because we had to write some of them off. But some, they still believe we can collect. So these are some of them are legacy uh, areas and some are current ones. And so we need to make sure that we mobilize all these areas to be able to run our operations properly. How way back are you going in terms of areas? Oh, once once your data is logged into our data, what is it, your Information is logged into our data. It doesn't matter whether it's 10 years ago, whether it's 100 years ago. You will still be asked to, 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 to pay for it. It's right. that some of because of uh, construction activity, because of relocation, uh, some of the properties are no longer in existence. And uh, because we didn't also have any direct identification, identification uh, uh, method that will link a customer to an account. Once they relocate, sometimes it's difficult to get them. When they are constructing new roofs, some uh, houses are pushed down, and so those properties are no longer there. So it's difficult to even locate where the customers 
have gone to both. So some of these things are there, and all of them are still part of the areas that we are building. But there are some also that we can treat. So we're still carrying out some of this exercise and doing the survey and eliminating those that are not uh, traceable and those that uh, are traceable. So for now, we have done almost about the 800 million that we think can be collected. And that's what we are actually working on. 800 million? That's what you are targeting, or that's what you have raised so far. You've collected so far. No, that's 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 the total array that we, we, our customers do. Eight hundred million nationwide. Oh yeah. How much did you collect today? Uh, for me, not just the cash, but uh, uh, the significance of the day was uh, the engagement of some of the big companies or the understanding of how our operation. But when we went to some of them, I think we've gotten about uh, 40 here, then we got 1.7 here. So we, we got some 1.7 million on what I have gone out to do, actually. 1.7. Um, yeah. the, the, the Nungwa enclave alone, you were targeting 4.7, according to what uh, the, the officials yeah, had so told us in, in the my morning. Absence, uh, they are supposed to have gone back, and it is not, it's a one week exercise. You're so hoping to the, 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 the four point mm -hmm. that you saw or the your, your reporters saw is for the work of a customer care assistant. That these are the customers that the customer care assistant deals with in the month. And so we will have to walk around all of them. And I moved on I think about four or five this morning and I have to come back to the office to, to, to work. But the others continued so this evening they will close. Then that's why we uh, actually get the total amount of money they will be able to do uh, for the for the day. This eight hundred million cities you are hoping to collect will be over a period of what one year, one month, one decade, one century. Oh, if you can get it in the in the month, we, 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 we are pushing for it. But, but what's your but own timeline? That's what I mean. What's your timeline? Oh, the timeline is in three four months. We should be able to play that. Three to four months. Yeah. Okay. Um. The money you are collecting so far, is it from only customers who are on the post-paid or you're also targeting prepaid customers? Got prepaid customers. We do not have prepaid customers at all. Oh, so all your, all your customers are post-paid? Everybody is uh, 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 a post-paid customer. Have you considered going prepaid? Or that's not possible within the water sector? Uh, it, is, it, is, it is not as easy as you think. Uh, people have tried it. It does not work. It's has a lot of uh, activities that you need to. Your telecommunication infrastructure will have to be solid. If somebody gives you his money and he cannot get your product, uh, it creates his own uh, tension and problems in trying to run the utility successfully. But it's something that we are considering and we are piloting some few areas and we'll see how it works. And if that is possible, then we can have it across Very well. the country. We are also uh, deploying some kind of meters that can be used as post-paid and at the same time as pre-paid. It can be read from the offices like remotely and then there's an inbuilt valve that we can lock you remotely. Okay. Now, you are targeting only big companies. That's what I'm suspecting. You are not targeting residential customers. No, we are targeting, every, we are targeting everybody. Oh, so people should just be expecting you at their doors if they if, if they've oh, not yeah, paid. And, and, and they are aware they do that. Then I was talking about that.
Mm. And okay. we are going to go on it. Very well. Before you go, um, forgive me, this was not part of the pre-production plans, but the Teshi desalination plant or the desalination plant at Nungwa, uh, what's the state of affairs? Is it still producing water for you or or is being shut down or we are still running a cost running it? What's the status? Uh, it's, it's, it's still producing water. And we are still paying so much for, for it? That, that's, that's the maybe, you should, maybe, maybe you should sell it. Maybe you should sell it. If you sell it, you raise some of the money. Uh, you can't sell it because it is not your property. Too bad. It Thank is, you. It is, it is a PPP project. And mm. so somebody owns it. And the person must run it for 25 years. And then hand over to you. And hmm. so if you don't get to the 25 years, it cannot be your property. So you can't sell it. That's too bad. But thank you. Thank you so much for speaking to us. Eh? Yeah, that, that's Dr. Clifford Brimer. He is the managing director of the Ghana Water Company Limited. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTF. And we are coming to you from our studios in Adabraka, in Accra. When we come back, we'll talk about the NDC's uh, internal elections, the primaries that are happening, the vetting that is uh, preceding the primaries. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. Let your voice be heard on Eyewitness News on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash city97.3, Twitter at twitter.com forward slash city973, and Instagram at instagram.com forward slash city973 with the hashtag Eyewitness News. You're welcome back. The atmosphere was charged at the Ashanti Regional Office of the National Democratic Congress as parliamentary aspirants from the Asawasa constituency took turns at the ongoing vetting. There was heavy police presence at the, as the incumbent member of parliament for Asawasi Muntaka Mumbarak and his contender Masawudu Mubarak went through the process and were given the positions on the yet-to-be printed ballot for the primaries. Supporters of both aspirants thronged the vetting center amidst chants in a contest that is attracting a lot of attention in the region. The incumbent Muntaka Mubarak, after the vetting, spoke to City News. They have shown so much love, they have shown so much commitment, but I only stand and lie and touch them for this massive support. My prayer is that all of us will keep working very hard to make sure that we do not only jump over the primaries, but we retain the advances in a very massive way. Will you describe this as an endorsement? Well, obviously, how many people get people to support them the way they have been supported? You don't get people to continue supporting you after two decades of being a member of parliament. For you to get people to be conjoined supporting for two decades, it means there's something you are doing right. And for me, I only thank Allah for all what he has done for me. And by this support, I know by the grace of God, Allah is not done with me. And I'm surely not done with as far as that was Member of Parliament for Asawase Muntaka Mubarak. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. Hafiz Tijani uh, is part of the team of journalists. We're trying to speak there to the Member of Parliament. Uh, Hafiz, what was the mood like? Um, Muntaka Mubarak being contested by the same person who contested him the last time who could not be on the ballot. This time around, it's obvious he'll be on the ballot. What is his mood like and uh, the mood of the supporters as well? Very excitement um, on their faces and charged atmosphere at the party's office. Uh, Mark sees that um, he's sailing through the first uh, step or he has taken the first step of 
going through the vetting successfully, and that is the parliament who uh, many see as someone who has uh, held this for a very long time, over a decade. In 2019, he tried to contest, but uh, he called it um, some machinations that went through internally that did not allow done that now. And he has also attracted a number of delegates to his side or party supporters to his side. And that has divided the uh, the constituency in terms of the party supporters aligning themselves to incumbent member of parliament and uh, some other supporters also aligning themselves to the contender. I see. The supporters themselves, so is it that they came in tens or they were all together there? Because you, you, you give us the impression that the police had to be deployed to the area to, to beef up security. So before uh, today, uh, yesterday, uh, it was an and the advance will be today. And because of the these developments that are arising from this constituency, the police had to be proactive at bringing their men. We saw and from the FPU men, also from the um, anti of the Ghana Police Service coming in in their numbers, fully armed, uh, just to forestall any, um, uh, any possibility of uh, disorder or the vetting center. So Mutaka Mubarak was first to come to the center with a huge surprise. Uh, I miss drumming, chants, and, and uh, blaring of sounds from uh, some uh, uh, public address system. Uh, to follow was Masaud Mubarak. He also marched his people from the principal streets of the metropolis to the NDC's office at Amikum. And so uh, it was a charged atmosphere for supporters of Masaud Mubarak. They are happy because the party has allowed for a uh, contest this time around and the member of parliament the is not going on the poll. So they believe that uh, democracy is working and they believe their candidate is going to bring the change they are seeking. Mm. Thank you so much. Uh, Hafiz Tijan is our correspondent in the Ashanti region. So the contestant or the contender to Honorable um, uh, Muntaka Mubarak is Masaud Mubarak. He's joined us on the line now. Uh, Honorable, okay, you've not got a title yet, but sir, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. Thank you very much. Who is Masaud Mubarak? Yeah, say that again. Who is Masaud Mubarak? Okay, so Masaud Mubarak um, is a, an, a business person, um, an aspirant, as you are aware of, for the NDC uh, parliamentary candidate position within the Asawasi constituency. Um, I also have engagement with the civic society as well. I see. So, so what's your professional background? Um, I'm a development management person. This is not the first time you are trying to go for that seat. Why, Aswasi? And why do you want to go to Parliament? Well, first of all, um, I am also um, a branch executive within the NDC in the constituency, aside being a resident within the Aswasi constituency. And uh, we believe, and my supporters believe, that 
Asawasi um, has a lot of prospects that um, we are not tapping into politically. We believe that um, they, I have an alternative um, vision, uh, my style of leadership, um, that would inure to the benefit of the people than currently what um, they are seeing with the incumbent MP. And um, last of all, also, uh, we also believe that um, a lot has been said, uh, negative things have been said about our constituency when it comes to parliamentary business. And so for us, it's a revolution to cleanse the debt in on our seat and also to relaunch the constituency for greater prosperity. Um, my focus is going to be on the youth empowerment or human development um, bit of of um, development. Um, um, indeed, yes, we still have infrastructural uh, needs um, that hasn't been met yet. Um, I'll do my part to meet all these needs, but uh, my focus would be how to add value to the people of Asawasi so that um, we can change the narrative for the Zungu people within within the constituency. I see. Your MP is a very powerful man, at least that's what we see on the floor of parliament. What is lacking in Asuasi that you want to uh, fix? Uh, for which reason you think he's not a guy that can do that job? Okay, so, sorry, first of all, um, on the bit of human development, I think the MP has little to nothing to show that um, he has the development of the people at heart. In terms of infrastructural development also, um, a greater chunk of it, I believe, has been misdirected. So it's a missed opportunity to use the taxpayers' money um, to invest in projects that will change the lives of the people. So the MP, in my view, um, lacks the ability to integrate his programs so that um, we can see um, greater benefit inuring to the to the people. Um, that is on one bit. So I, what I bring on board would be that um, a, a better understanding of the mental issues and the processes that uh, that that leads up to sustainable development. And the other aspect has to do with um, when I say when you say he's powerful, I don't I don't understand what you mean by well. I mean he's he's, he's, a, he's a whip in parliament. We see his work since he entered in two thousand and five. He's graduated. He was he was a whip or he is a whip. Okay, he was a whip. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, right. so he was so a whip, these, and he was very instrumental. Yeah. For instance, in 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 your party, uh, getting the speaker on your side and all of that. We've been seeing his work, uh, his argument, his. Uh, debate his, his 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 prowess his knowledge of parliament and the workings of the house at the vetting we see what he do on the he does on the appointments well, committee I mean, I so, so that's what i mean, mean from what we see it's a, it's on, on the channel, on, on the face of it i i can there's a lot that i have to comment about his work in parliament the supposed good things he's doing in parliament but it's an internal contest the last thing i'd want to do is to run the member of parliament down in public but I'm saying this to say that we think that um, all is not well with Astawasi seat in Parliament, in as much as you are arguing that he has been instrumental in selecting the current speaker or getting him elected. I also would believe that you agree with me that his name too has popped up in many things in Parliament. 
that is not in the national interest, that is not in the party interest, that is not um, that that doesn't stand with um, the, the the good tenets of um, democracy and good governance. So, for me, there's a lot of things that I can pinpoint that is not right with um, the conduct of the member of parliament. But again, it's it's an internal elections, and the last thing I'd want to do is come on him hard on these things. But what we are seeing is that currently, as far as he's at the crossroads. We need a leader who would be able to um, be able to, if you like, um, get us to where we want to get to in the next NDC government. I don't see that the current member of parliament for Asawasi, if re-elected, would really have any meaningful role to play in the next NDC government if we don't change him. Okay. And so it will be it will be doing the people of Asawasi a great disservice. And uh, you know Asawasi is largely NDC and it will remain so for the foreseeable future. And so if uh, we are toiling to, to bring the NDC government into power, we would want to also have a fair share of the national cake to be able to develop the people. And also, the, I mean, uh, my, my, my thinking is that the, the NDC's position in a lot of things that come in, on the floor of parliament usually um, is the national interest. And so on the level of... Um, the working for Ghana, we also think that the MP has failed. Um, um, I can go on and on and mention mm. examples of in, in, instances where he has failed the people of Ghana. Okay. Um, you had mentioned about the, the questions he asked at the veteran committee. To what end? I mean, you ask all those questions and at the end of the day you, to pass those people to go, what have you done? But so I see that um, there's some, sometimes maybe sinister motives or some canny nature when it comes to the, the way things happen um, um, in, on the floor when it involves my um, MP. But again, I wouldn't want to go there. No, you have, you, have already, you have already gone there, and those are very serious what, what, allegations you've thrown there. What I'm saying when you say, when you, no, no, when you say sinister and cunning, those are those are very offensive words you're using. No, no, uh, but those, are, those are actually like you're accusing the Member of Parliament of engaging in sinister I'm not saying, I, I'm not, I'm, motives, I'm, aspiring to, I'm, I'm aspiring to get to Parliament. Mm. So, I would, I would, what I say is based on what people in Parliament have told us. To so go, people in Parliament people told you that so, your so MP people, is sinister yes, and cunning. Uh, no, no, not necessarily so. But there have been there have been times where they have raised issues about credibility, issues about about trust and so on and so forth. So, 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 so you're saying that your MP is not trustworthy. Yes, I mean, bottom line, that is a fact that I can say without mentioning words that there's lack of trust. On, on the part of who? who? Who doesn't trust him? Is it the members of parliament or the party he represents? No, no, I mean, colleagues, yes. Some colleagues in parliament have, have thought to mean that and leadership of party, maybe they will not come out and boldly say, but I believe that is the situation. And we, the constituents, again, I would speak for myself, as a branch executive, as a party member within the Asawasi, that is how I feel, and many others that support me within the constituency, that is how we feel. We think that the Asawasi constituency has this unique advantage within the region. When you take the greater Kumasi area, I think there's about 18 constituencies. NDC only has Asawasi among these 18, and so um, it gives us leverage. I mean, if you like, if the NDC 
is in part be able to to do a lot of things for, for our people. We okay. really are not seeing that. And so when when I come, what I'm coming with is is that I would be bet, better positioned to be able to uh, to lobby for 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 things for my people mm. to bring prosperity to my people. Very well. Thank you so much, uh, Masaudu, and wish you all the best. Uh, we would we'll, we'll engage you further uh, if you happen to pass by Accra in our studios. Thank you for speaking to us. Thank you very much to you and your listeners. Bye-bye. That's Masawudu Mubarak. He is NDC parliamentary aspirant for the Aswasi constituency in the Ashanti region. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 City FM. Up next, we bring you the latest in the world of business. And then there will be no point blank because, again, tonight, the City Sports team would be in the studio to bring you that very, 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 very important game between Manchester United, the Red Devils, and a certain club called Brentford. That will be happening at 7 p.m., but the pre-match analysis will start uh, here after the business news. Please stay with 97.3. This effectively ends Eyewitness News. Good night. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. Get the details. Every significant financial transaction, every market movement, and all the policies that affect your business. City Business News. Be informed. Time now for City Business News and Eyewitness News, powered by citybusinessnews.com. My name is Akusia Otre. Let's settle for the details. Economist Professor Lord Mensah is projecting the city could appreciate to about seven cities to the dollar soon. This comes as the local currency gains some strength over the period and is currently trading at about 10 cities, 9 pesos, according to rates from the bank. Of Ghana. The city had slammed to a low record of about 16 Ghana cities to the US dollar in the past months. Speaking to City News, Professor Lord Mensah indicated that the external debt restructuring, among others, had reduced demand for forex, accounting for the positive outlook of the city. We foresee more or less a long term appreciation because, as I said earlier, governments, you know, being the biggest demander of the dollar, after you know external debt restructuring will obviously um, um, reduce the demand for the dollar, and uh, uh, the, the rate at which government was servicing its debt will not be the same as um, you know it used to be when the the, the, the dollar was appreciating with the city, and so. Uh, resuming the debt service on the side of the government externally is not going to be on the same quantum as it used to be. So uh, we foresee, and then coupled with the IMF program coming up, uh, we foresee a situation where you know uh, the appreciation will continue and possibly it's in the single digits. Do you think we ever get to the sevens? Yeah, I foresee that. Economist Professor Lord Mensah, away from that, the government has indicated that it is working to make the Financial Stability Fund more efficient to support banks which have been impacted by the domestic debt exchange program. According to the government, this is crucial as the fund will provide a temporary liquidity and also solvency to licensed financial companies. Speaking at the launch of the financial education campaign in Accra, the Deputy Minister of Finance Abinal Sayasari said government is committed in building resilience in the sector. Despite the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic and the Russian Ukraine war, as well as 
the domestic debt exchange program. The Ghanaian financial sector remains resilient. It is a testament to the financial sector restructuring exercise undertaken by government way back in 2017. The Monetary Policy Committee in their latest re release revealed that the banking industry remains relatively stable despite reported some losses from the domestic debt exchange program. However, to further strengthen the sector and make and provide a stability backstop to the industry. Government, in collaboration with the financial sector regulators, is working on the Ghana Financial Stability Fund. This is a standby liquidity and solvency financing mechanism to help mitigate the potential impact of government's debt operations on the financial sector. The fund will provide temporary liquidity and solvency support to licensed financial institutions that may face liquidity and solvency challenges arising from their participation in the domestic debt exchange program. This will provide further support to the financial institutions in addition to the various regulatory forbearances provided by their respective regulators. Voice of a Deputy Minister of Finance, Abna Osei. Asari. And the Importers and Exporters Association of Ghana has indicated that the high and numerous taxes imposed on the operations is to blame for the low volumes of businesses currently being undertaken at the ports. This follows a letter cited by City Business News from the Ghana Ports and Harbors Authority to various stakeholders over a decline in traffic at the ports since June 2022. Speaking to City Business News Executive Director of the association, Samson Asaki Awingobet lamented the situation. Well, we told government at the time they were reversing the benchmark value. For benchmark reverser, people were paying like even trader Corolla early. People were paying 8,000 or 10,000 or 15,000. Now, if you bring car to the port, if you don't pay 40,000, a container, so people were paying, let's say, 80,000 to clear refer container. Suddenly, they are paying over 300,000 Ghana cities. That's how bad it is. That's how bad. If you go home, just goes closer, a, a, a cold store sh close to you, and say you want to buy chicken. Let quarter, and you see how much they are going to sell to you. So it is, it is to, it, to the extent that GPHA is even calling us to find out why there's no import coming to the country. Because people can no longer uh, import into this country. The cost of doing business is too high. And the manufacturing sector, too, the cost of production is high. And we strongly believe that uh, this policy, when implemented, it is not just going to affect only the importers or manufacturers. Even employees who are hanging in companies as casual workers will all go off because manufacturers cannot, uh, owners cannot, cannot keep those things. That was Executive Director of the Importers and Exporters Association of Ghana, Samson Asaki Awingobet. Now, a lecturer at the University of Ghana Business School, Professor Godfred Bokbain, has bemoaned the neglect of the agricultural sector, which used to be the bedrock of the nation's economy. He explains that the service sector has been is being given prominence over the agricultural sector, which he argues is in a poorer state as most of the activities on such trade lines are largely dictated by imports. He was speaking at a three business forum in Accra. Ghana from independence were known for agriculture. Today, Ghana is not known for agriculture. Ghana is known for service. But the question is, is Ghana really a service-based economy? The answer is no. Typically, if you look at the economic transformation, when a country begins off from agriculture and suddenly service is leading, it tells you that that economy is matured. So it's gone through that process. 
So, but in the case of Ghana, we started off agricultural being the leading contribution to GDP, and then we skip industry. That's what the data is telling us. And then we jump straight to where? Service. That service sector is actually not quality service. It's a sector that is driven by retail and wholesale, largely imports. So once your service sector is leading, particularly in the area of retail and wholesale, once your industry isn't doing well, then it means that the bulk of what is happening here is going to be what? Imports. Typically, once you import, you're actually exporting jobs to those countries where you are importing from and importing their unemployment into your country. Economist Professor Godfred Bokbein, finally Minister for Tourism, Creative Arts and Culture, Ibrahim Mohamed Awal, says his outfit is targeting to rake in over $3 billion into the country's economy through tourism this year. The minister indicated that his outfit hopes to achieve this by collaborating with stakeholders, including the Ghana Tourism Authority, to ensure that they will attract about 1.2 million domestic and international arrivals. Speaking at the launch of the Ghana Tourism Authority's 50th anniversary celebration and also their tourism report, Mr. Awal underscored government's commitment to improve and attract tourists into the country. $3.4 billion in terms of tourism assists and 103,000 jobs in 2023 is our target. Next year, we'll celebrate it. Tourism is not just about hotels, it's about food, about music, about leisure, about entertainment. We are going to train about 6,000 people in the tourism sector this year to improve the quality. Like you said, quality is everything. If we have quality, the tourists don't really come and come again. They'll come back with their families and friends and they'll spend more money. They will give us a lot of jobs. In the medium term, 2025, we won't have after we twenty about two million tourist arrivals in twenty twenty five. That should give us not less than five point two billion dollars. And that will make tourism the one contribute to Ghana GDP. It's still been our targets and we are getting there. Tourism will take over the mining, cocoa, oil and gas in terms of GDP proof, in terms of dollars to this economy, in terms of jobs. Ibrahim Mohamed Awal is Minister for Tourism, Creative Arts and Culture and the Chief Executive Officer of the Ghana Investment Promotion Center, GIPC, Yofi Grant, also speaking on the event, uh, charged the private sector to focus on giving quality of friends in the tourism sector. Quite recently, I, I was in Abu Dhabi for business and I was surprised. I'm sure you all know the famous mosque in Abu Dhabi. It has more visitors going there, there are multiple of visitors going there every year that we have totally coming to that. And mosque, that's the mosque. But why? Because everybody who comes, who goes there says, this is quality personified. The neatness, the, you know, the ambience, the grandiose nature of it. So even though our wage is something that many have, you know, questions about, for me, there's not the only thing having a national cathedral that will attract everybody to come to Ghana in Africa. That's how things are done. And everybody takes a sense of pride in this country of how we can use to attract people. Yes, there might be issues, but we live beyond today. 50 years from today, not all of us who are sitting here will be there. But when we build the monuments and we heal them, they will live beyond us. Yofi Grant is Chief Executive Officer of the Ghana Investment Promotion Center, 
GIPC. And that's all for City Business News and Eyewitness News. It was powered by your most comprehensive business website, citybusinessnews.com. My name is Akusi Autry. Many thanks for doing that listening. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens.